Look me in my face. You're the worst. He is, and he knows it. Are all of these flies super horny? Ooh, Luke's got jangly keys. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. It was definitely the best show I've ever worked on because everybody was like family by the end. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kate Colvin, and I'm joined by Will Wallace and Clissa Mullis. Every week we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week we're talking about season three, episode 22, Devoid. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, alpha and beta. The beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. This episode is titled Devoid. It was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Christian Taylor. In this episode, Stalinsky, Derek, Allison, and Chris defend Styles from the Oni until the Oni vanish. Lushiko encounters Styles in the basement of Eichen House, where he unleashes a swarm of flies to possess some of the people in Styles' life, Derek, Isaac, and the twins. Chaos reigns as Derek attacks Chris. Isaac attacks the twins, and the twins attack each other. The group is able to capture a weakened Styles and turns to an unlikely ally for help getting the real Styles back in control. Raphael stalls Stalinsky's impeachment proceedings, which prompts Stalinsky to encourage him to talk to Scott. Lydia reveals a secret about Peter just before the two of them and the Nagitsune disappear. Our favorite quote for this episode comes from an exchange between Allison and Chris. Allison asks, were you really going to pull the trigger on Styles?" Chris says, to be honest, I'm not sure. Allison says, I'd check the firing pin. Chris says, you removed it? Allison agrees, mm-hmm. And Chris says, that's why the women are the leaders in our family. Cut to a white screen that says, no footage found. <laughs> Unfortunately. And our honorable mention comes from a little exchange between Scott and Peter. Scott asks, what if this is just another trick? To which Peter replies, when are you people going to start trusting me? And Scott says, I meant him. And Peter says, oh. I love that bit. <laughs> it it is it is really good. Also, Peter, the answer is never. Yeah. You know, fool me once. Shame on you. No. Fool. Whatever yeah. it is with the it's shame. That. Okay. Fool me once. <laughs> shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Fool me always. The answer is no, is is how that works. So yeah. Continuing where we left off at the end of the last episode, Stalinsky approaches Styles at Derek's loft and says that if Styles is still in there, he'll let the sheriff cuff him. Derek already has handcuffs for me, Dad. They have little Triskelets on them. 
Styles lets Stolinski cuff him, but the expression on his face immediately changes, letting the sheriff know that Styles isn't in the driver's seat after all. Oh man, that look. Yeah, sexual identity being that look. Just as Styles easily breaks out of the handcuffs, Chris, Derek, and Allison enter the loft. No, guys, with urgency. You're not Anakin Skywalker just walking from scene to scene. Walker is right in the name, man. Just kidding, I hate Anakin. Allison shoots Styles with a taser, but he grabs the wires and pulls the taser out of her hands. Derek attacks Styles next and gets thrown into a wall. You don't have to attack him one by one, guys. Yeah, Derek could have been attacking him while Allison was tasing him. I mean, he would have also been electrocuted, but he has a tolerance for electricity. Those things don't even phase him anymore. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this is some weird fight of honor. They can't, like, all do all at once. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everyone freezes when Chris pulls out a gun and aims it at Styles. There's a shock. Check out Styles' MTV gelled hair. <laughs> Love it. There was a short exchange in the original script that was cut. Void Styles turns with a slight smile, oddly pleased to see Argent aiming the barrel of his Desert Eagle. Void Styles says, Why do I feel like not everyone's on board with this plan? And Argent says, I don't care. What? Chris Argent doesn't care? Shocker, shocker. <laughs> Stilinski warns Chris to put his gun away, and when Chris doesn't comply, he takes out his own gun and points it at Chris. What was Chris's plan here? It clearly wasn't just to shoot Styles, because he just stood there, pointing it. Stilinski has the upper hand here because he dramatically cocked his weapon. Chris didn't, so I can only assume it isn't cocked at all. <laughs> There's also another pet bit from the original script where Derek tries to dissuade Chris. Derek says, we've learned better. Back on his feet, Derek approaches. We saved Jackson, right? Argent says, we got lucky with Jackson. I mean, they kind of did get lucky with Jackson because of the healing power of Lydia's super magical love. But I do really enjoy Derek pushing back and also talking about not just what the group has learned, but how he has changed in the way mm -hmm. he approaches things. Because we definitely do see that when he started out on the show... He was much more, I don't want to say attack first, ask questions later, because there's plenty of him lurking and watching to see what's oh, going yeah. on. <laughs> we all know this, obviously. Suddenly Derek is a meme for a reason. Suddenly but Derek. he did have this attitude of, if you have to kill one person to save a bunch of people, you do that. Mm -hmm. And you take on that responsibility. Yeah. And I think that's an understandable perspective for him, given everything. but. Scott has somewhat found a way to solve those kinds of situations without killing someone. And it really does feel like Derek has learned from that. Yeah. Character growth is a good thing, folks. It's the mark of a good story. Yep. Styles eggs on Stolinski, acting fearful of his life, but also eggs on Chris, daring him to shoot Styles. I kind of wish this had ended in a Reservoir Dogs style shootout. And then the season ends. But actually, we all know Derek would somehow jump in front of all of the bullets. Of course. So suddenly Derek. <laughs> yeah, suddenly Derek, yeah. In the original script, Chris also tells Sheriff, your son is gone. Damn. Yeah. Seems to think that maybe he, with that version of it, didn't think that Styles was in there at all. I do think that's the implication, even if it isn't stated. But then at the same time, he can't pull the trigger. And you would think that if he really was sure that Styles was gone, that he was 100% just Styles' vacant body being uh -huh. meat puppeted by a Japanese trickster spirit, that he would pull the trigger. Yeah, that giraffe husk of a body. <laughs> 
I no, I wish that had happened. I wish he'd pulled the trigger and it just went click. One, because he hadn't cocked it. We know Chris only dramatically cocks his weapons at the wrong time to do that. Of course. But mm -hmm. for the firing pin to come later, because it seems like that's only interesting if he'd actually pulled the trigger instead of... I mean, I, I think it, it still works. There was still that tension in the scene because mm -hmm. we don't know what he's going to do and we yeah. don't know what Allison has done. So it's not like by having that, it would have increased the tension up to that point in the scene. True. And I think sometimes Teen Wolf shies away from ambiguity Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is great. I mean, there are plenty of times where I'm watching a movie and I'm like, just pick something. Stop being intentionally vague. That being said, there are times where ambiguity, especially when it comes to characters, can be really interesting and enrich mm -hmm. the story. And I kind of like the fact that Chris himself doesn't know what he would have done if given more time yeah. to make that call. Allison realizes this is exactly what the Nagitsune wants strife. It's stoking conflict. Styles blithely clarifies that it's not exactly what he wants because Scott isn't there. Still, he's glad they have their guns out because they're here to protect him from the Oni. I love how he backs up behind them just as the Oni come in there. This has got to be one of my favorite episodes. I mean, one of the Sterky ones is probably my number one favorite, but as far as non-Steric episodes go, this is my favorite. It is a great episode. It is. And this is a, a great moment. It's so smooth. The way he moves back as he's saying the dialogue really underscores how many moves ahead he is Yeah. in planning all of this. How many moves ahead he is compared to Scott's pack. Right. Side by side, Derek and Allison protect Styles' back. She gives him a little stab before turning on the Oni. <laughs> <laughs> I could see it. Yeah. As ridiculous as it was for her to say she wasn't sure if she could trust Derek in the last episode, I do like that she's still inviting alongside him to protect Styles. Yeah. That is one of my favorite, I don't know if it's a trope, but one of the things I like in stories when characters don't like each other, don't trust each other and all that, but will instantly work together when they understand it's for the greater good or for whatever's happening with them in that moment. I just... I just, I just eat that shit up. This makes me happy every time. By the time Scott and Kira arrive, the Oni and Styles have vanished. Was Arjun over there checking on Derek? He does owe him one. And how did Derek end up on the floor again? He got cut by the Oni. It does seem like he did most of the heavy lifting in that fight with the Oni. Meanwhile, Noshiko visits Reese's body in the basement of Eichenhaus. Styles joins her, asking why she carved that kanji over the place where she hid Reese's body. Nishiko says it's to signify that Reese died as himself, not as a monster. Styles asks, what happened to the woman who wanted chaos, strife, and pain? Nishiko doesn't want that anymore, but the Nogitsune does. He grabs the last kaiken out of Noshiko's hand and uses it to stab himself in the stomach. And he has to keep eye contact with her the whole time, making it super weird, like whenever your dog is using the bathroom outside and just like locking eyes with you. See, I feel like that is a cat thing. <laughs> that is big cat trickster energy of like, look <laughs> me in my face. Chaos has come again, Styles pronounces, just as a swarm of flies comes out of his wound. Yeah, it has. Ah, oh, buddy, put some chapstick on those lips. I'd let his dry lips touch my lips. I am not shocked. I think this and Candyman are the only times I've seen them use bugs in a horror situation, and I actually thought it worked. Remember the bug man on Buffy? Ugh, that did not work. I am the bug man, cuckoo cachoo. Yes, Buffy reference. Ugh, Will. <laughs> Just Excuse me while watch it. I Jesus Christ. Lost for the 10th time. My God. You know what? You're a 40-year-old man. I am a 40-year-old man. You can watch what you want to watch. 
You're right. I can watch what I want to watch all the time. And right now I want to watch Lost. Mm. One of the flies moves through the hospital before landing on Isaac's chart. Because he's still in the hospital. Don't forget about that, guys. That's right. (laughs) I spy a CGI fly. I don't like the POV shot. Yeah, I don't care for it either. It feels too 1950s, the fly. Help me. Help me. (laughs) Watch that movie, kids. It's a lot of fun. And then watch the remake. It is less fun. Amazing. It's so good, though. It's so good, but don't go in there thinking this is going to be a fun time. It you are not, not going to have a fun time watching that movie. Also, that help me, help me moment is sort of parodied in Beetlejuice. It is. Yeah, it is. It's My great. favorite film. Scott and Kira go back to Scott's place because Kira isn't ready to go home. Oh, Kira's outfit is so cute. Scott settles in a chair so Kira can have his bed. She says he doesn't have to sleep in the chair, but he assures her he's woken up there many times. Uh Scott's so cute too. And oblivious. It would have been really funny if Kira had said, you don't have to sleep in the chair. And he's like, oh, and then he moves to the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Or you don't have to sleep in the chair. Ooh, and then he curls up at the foot of the bed. Oh, like (laughs) Like a doggo. doggo. (laughs) Kira says she doesn't want Scott to sleep in the chair. He gets the implication, finally, and and moves to the bed next to her. I love them together. I feel like they're so evenly matched and just really adorable. Yeah, I do think Allison was clearly the dominant one in their relationship, while these two seem more evenly matched. Also, her long-sleeved undershirt makes me think of Beetlejuice. That's two Beetlejuice references now. Say it once, say it twice, say it three times. Third time's the charm. Also, I'm surprised they got a Hosier song for this scene. I was going to say, that sounds like Hosier. Is this before he was Hosier? I'm not sure... Take Me to Church came out in 2013, and this aired in 2014, but I don't think Take Me to Church climbed the charts until 2014, so Teen Wolf might have been at exactly the right time where it was affordable but about to become a global hit. As Chris and Allison return home, Allison tells Chris that she removed the firing pin from his gun to ensure he couldn't shoot Styles. Chris isn't angry, but rather impressed. He wouldn't be if he knew who was waiting in Allison's bedroom. In the original script, when asked if he would shoot Styles, Arjun actually says, to be honest, I'm not sure. All I know is when, when the gun jammed, I actually felt relieved. Oh, so, well, it sounds like originally the plan was for him to pull the trigger and there'd be a click. That would have been good. Allison is surprised and worried to find Isaac in her room. He assures her he's all healed up and they kiss. At the loft, a still-wounded Derek gets out a chessboard. If this is a game to Styles, Derek wants to try to figure out his next move. Is it a dating game? Peter warns that chess is Styles' game, not the Nagitsune's. He's heard that the Nagitsune can only choose to become human after about 100 years. It's lived too long to play by human rules. As he leaves, he tells Derek to put some ointment on his wound before it gets infected. You're the worst. He is, and he knows it. We actually get some additional information from Peter in the original script. Peter says, I run into a few kitsune myself. Derek says, why does that not surprise me? Peter continues, it's a fox spirit that chose to become human, and that's supposedly something they can only do after 100 years. Kitsune can look as old or as young as they want, although they act like petty children, whether they're five or 500. And Peter would know. (laughs) (laughs) Also, after Peter says chess is not the game of a Japanese fox, in the original script, it said, with a frustrated breath, Derek swipes the pieces off of the board, sending them clattering across the stone floor, which I thought was really interesting considering the scene we get later with Styles hitting the pieces. Doing the exact same thing. Right. I wish we could have got that. Yeah. 
At the school, Danny and Ethan hit the locker room after practicing lacrosse. Danny says Ethan can make the team in the spring if he wants. Ethan does want to, though Danny notices something is off about him. Oh, right. The twins are still here. Ethan admits he's not sure if this place is for him, or rather, them. I'm 26, and I'm not sure if I belong in high school. Maybe I should try getting an actual job. (laughs) (laughs) Ethan splashes water on his face just as a fly gets into the water. Since they're supernaturals, can they not hear them? The flies? Yeah, we as the audience hear the flies. Werewolves have super hearing, so Isaac was unconscious. We can skip over that one. But what about Derek and Ethan? Well, we know that powers come and go in intensity depending on what's needed for the story. But honestly, Ooh. I feel but honestly, I feel like the buzzing is just for us as the audience, because I think it would feel weird to have a fly seen on screen flying around without having a buzzing sound. I mean, they even put a buzzing sound on the fireflies at the beginning of 3A, and fireflies don't buzz at all. But Ken noticed it, right? The fly, and he's human, so the flies must be perceivable. Yes. It's really just dependent on what the story needs. Hmm. Yes, I agree with that, skeptical. Hmm. (laughs) Although, let me say this really fast. He has no reason to think the fly is malevolent. It's just a fly as far as he's concerned. So whether he hears it or not is something else. But Aiden has the fly fly directly into his ear. Yeah. And Derek has the fly fly directly into his open wound. Like, if they can feel that, wouldn't you be like, oh my god, a fly just flew into my body. You make good points. Moving (laughs) on. (laughs) (laughs) So, from the original script, it said, Danny watches Ethan step back from the sink. A flash of blue shimmers across his eyes. Danny leans forward, noticing the odd but momentary glow. Oh, did not get that in the episode. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan announces that he's taking a shower, and so is Danny. Are all of these flies super horny? (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad they cut that scene where Derek was trying to seduce Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Reese and Noshiko never got to sleep together, so now that it gets an eight, just has their pent up horniness. Well, Styles is. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of horny. (laughs) So much horny. Lydia tries to drive to Malia's house with Aiden in the passenger seat, but she's shocked when he says she should use the GPS. She thought she was using the GPS. So whose voice was she hearing? Lydia's back! The conversation about her taking four lefts reminds me from the four lefts is a circle bit in Trapped in Paradise. That's a great movie. Nick Cage, Dana Carvey, watch it, Wolfies. I do love that movie. It's an underrated Christmas film. Yes, very underrated. Also, John Lovitz, whom you conveniently forgot, notable for having once punched Andy Dick in the face, something we all aspire to do. Oh, is that what he's known for? SNL, wedding singer, punching Andy Dick in the face. The critic, all good stuff. There's some extra dialogue at the start of this scene in the original script. Aiden says, how come you don't have any radio stations? Lydia says, it's a new car. I haven't had a chance to program it. Aiden says, oh yeah? Want to try out the back seat? She throws him a look then reaches for the turn signal. Aiden continues, looks pretty spacious. Want to try out the front seat? She throws him another withering look, but then Lydia says, maybe later. <laughs> I'm glad they cut that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I prefer that the Lydia Aiden thing is just done. I don't think it works with her character arc to have her keep wavering and being like, or am I going to keep banging you? Yeah. Panicked, Lydia suddenly pulls over into a parking lot only to find Styles lying on the ground unconscious. While he's standing in the parking lot, a fly crawls into Aiden's ear. See, we should have at least seen him slap at it. Can't he feel it? 
or just say they're not detectable. The problem is that they did show that the flies are detectable. Yeah. Meanwhile, Allison wakes up to find Isaac going through some weapons in her room. So Isaac is under the influence of the Nagitsune when he and Allison had sex. Is that a little not great? I don't think her waking up with him still in the room necessarily means they had sex. We only saw them kissing. Yeah, I took it that they slept together as in slept in the same bed, not slept together as in had sex. It's definitely possible. I just always feel like you show people kissing and then you come back to them in bed to indicate they've slept together. And by slept together, I mean have sex together. They didn't lay down at any point while kissing, though. To me, that's the indicator. We extrapolate from there that they had sex. Mm. Yeah, plus she's fully wearing pajamas. It's not like his shirt that she's wearing. Yeah, and they're not even like sexy pajamas. They're like long-sleeved colored pajamas. No one puts those on after sex. Exactly. Those would be like... Dad approved pajamas. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like he got those for her last birthday and she was like, cool, thanks, dad. (laughs) I'll allow it. Isaac thinks she should keep all her lethal weapons, even though her new code is about protecting. Some people out there are lethal, like the twins. He doesn't believe they deserve a second chance. After Isaac says that, there's some extra dialogue in the original script. Allison says, did I? What about you? Remember how you almost killed Lydia and I almost killed you? And Isaac replies, yeah, with this. And he pulls out a ring dagger. (laughs) We all know where he got it from. Uh, I like that Allison is taking a little more responsibility in Mm -hmm. this part of the conversation. I don't like really that she's comparing trying to kill Lydia with her trying to kill him because trying to kill Lydia was trying to save people. I mean, it was misguided, obviously, but intentions do matter. Right. They believed Lydia was the monster. It was based on something too. It wasn't just like... She seems like she's evil. She's got an evil look. Let's just do it. Like she had been bitten Mm -hmm. and had not turned into a werewolf, which is exactly the situation that causes being a canima. And she was immune to the venom, which they believed meant that that was the canimus. Not saying it wasn't misguided or an incredibly bad idea. It was both of those things. But the intention was to protect people. And Allison's was just hatred. Like... Yeah. Allison trying to kill Isaac wasn't even revenge. Her trying to kill Derek was revenge. Her trying to kill Isaac was just... A hate crime. Yeah. I mean, truly. Allison starts to get up, but finds that Isaac has chained her ankles to the bed. He grabs a bag of weapons and leaves. And Allison's grateful that she wore her not-sexy pajamas, since her dad's probably going to have to let her out later. Right. At the McCall house, Scott and Aiden carry Styles to the couch while Deaton, Melissa, and Lydia look on. I mean, you guys could support his arms. He uses those for flailing. They're very important. Yeah, but the loose arms looked good in slow-mo. Yeah. Given that Styles is wounded, Melissa believes he should go to the hospital, but Scott reminds her what happened the last time he went to the hospital, and it was not good. No, it was not. Deaton examines Styles' wound and discovers that it's not bleeding anymore. He might even be healing, much like the werewolves do, quickly and without medical help. Glad Deaton decided to show up again. He and Lydia are off having a treat yourself day. (laughs) Treat yourself. Raphael walks into Sheriff Stalinsky's office and declines an incoming call from Melissa on Stalinsky's phone, saying the sheriff has other priorities right now. Such a f***ing asshole. One does not decline a call on someone else's phone. That move is reserved for kidnappers and shitty dads. Oh, wait. Especially if it's a call from Mama McCall. Exactly. It's right there in her name. 
Exactly. <laughs> as Stonsky prepares to go to the preliminary hearing about his position as sheriff, Melissa tries to call again. Back at the McCall house, Aiden doesn't understand why they don't have Styles chained up, even if he is currently still unconscious. Deaton says he has something better and takes out a vial. It's a shot of bourbon. He looks like a lightweight. We all know giraffes have very low tolerances. Dean gives Styles a dose of cannabis venom, but in the few seconds before it kicks in, Styles still has time to wake up and try to strangle Aiden. Even when the venom does kick in, Styles changes tactics and warns Aiden that Ethan is in trouble. Aiden leaves for the school. Deaton covers Styles' mouth with duct tape. I bet a lot of people have been waiting a long time to do that to Styles. Emergency Styles duct tape, go! The sheriff's hearing begins, and it gets off to a rocky start. This is a really small detail, but you can tell the shot of the stenographer was played in reverse. They got a shot of her looking at the sheriff, then looking back at the panel, but they played it as her looking at the panel and then at the sheriff. You can catch shots like that if you watch people's eyes. Interesting. Just to clarify, is Styles still officially missing, or is he officially recovered? I think he's still officially missing. Yeah, so that's a really shitty thing to do to his father. They could postpone the hearing. Yeah, it's extremely shitty of them if everyone believes his only child is officially missing. At the Arden's apartment, Chris gets a call from Allison asking him to join her at the school to take care of the Isaac problem. But before Chris can leave, gun in hand, Derek arrives unexpectedly, as he often does. (laughs) I love Derek's little thumbhole shirt. It's adorable. I love this whole scene. Derek shows Chris Talia's claws, the only thing that remains of his mother. Meanwhile, Melissa is in the middle of bandaging Styles' wound when she realizes he's crying. The boy does cry good. He gets to show a lot of range in this episode. This whole season, really, but especially this episode. Absolutely. As soon as Melissa removes the tape from his mouth, Styles goes from crying to giving Melissa chiding, unimpressed look. He can't believe shedding one tear was enough for her resolve to crumble. That turn, that moment, was so good. And he really did only have just like a single tear on his cheek. The precision. Styles says she's going to need a lot more resolve when the time comes for Scott to find out the reason his dad really left. The Nogitsune reveals that Styles knows about what happened, even though Scott doesn't. After the incident that led to Raphael leaving, Melissa told Stalinsky and Styles overheard. He just never told Scott because he knew Scott would never forgive Melissa. He would hate her. Melissa says that this isn't Styles. He responds that it is now. This is who I am now, Mom. Everyone comes back and the duct tape is all the way around his head like a mummy. (laughs) But really, that line is so chilling the way he delivers it. Yeah. At the hearing, Stolinski tells the panel to get busy deciding what to do because the hearing is a waste of time. Just when he gets up to leave, however, Raphael steps in to say a few words. At the McCall house, Lydia reminds Deaton about what the scroll said about changing Styles' body to separate him from the Nogitsune. Deaton says that's only if he translated it correctly. Then get someone who's fluent to translate it, Jesus! Furthermore, Deaton says it could be just a proverb or a metaphor. You are the one who said they should get it! He's the bull's advocate all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Scott worries that Styles might not want to be a werewolf. Dean adds that it could kill Styles. What if he hits an artery? Scott worries. There are no arteries in the hip. Everyone knows that. Also, Lydia would know where all the arteries are. Obviously. But what if his, like, you know, fangs slip? Scott suggests trying to get a hold of Derek again, but Lydia has a different suggestion. They bring in Peter. This better be important, Peter says. I was at my favorite Phoenix store. Half off. Like, this shirt is half off my body. 
<laughs> Peter takes a look at Styles and agrees with Deaton that he might not survive the bite. He looks like he could barely survive a slap to the face. This is a war of the mind, not the body. His favorite kind of war. So then seriously, what was the point of getting that f***ing scroll? There was a whole episode devoted to that. I don't know, honestly. They hoped it said something better. But what? Because he still says, what if I didn't translate it correctly? What if it's metaphorical? Yeah. If he believed that that could be the case with what it said, that he might not be able to translate it correctly, that it might not have literal instructions, why did they go to that much effort to get it? Because remember, they had to steal that from federal custody. They could have died. Dean just gave them some busy work. <laughs> like, it's so annoying and it's such a weird thing. Like, how often are you watching something where the characters spend an entire episode doing something and then immediately after, the person who told them to do the thing, not a villain, absolutely on their team and hasn't changed their mind about anything, is like, but actually, was there a purpose to that? Like, I don't know if I've ever seen that before in a story. Yeah, me either. Peter believes they need to go into Styles' mind. Why am I not surprised at that suggestion coming from Peter? Boy, Styles is like, you have my attention now. Things are getting interesting. At the school, Danny leaves and Aiden confronts Ethan about getting involved in such unimportant things as lacrosse. Ethan, however doesn't care about the things that Aiden believes are high priority right now. He's starting to think Scott is never going to trust them or let them into his pack. He looks at them like dogs who bit the neighbor. See how he looks at us like dogs who murdered his friend? Right? You didn't bite the neighbor, you asshole. You killed someone. You killed Boyd. He was the best of us. But that was like, you know, months ago. <laughs> was it? I don't Four even days. know if that's the case. <laughs> Ethan believes Aiden is holding him back. While Ethan is making progress in getting rid of that kill-or-be-killed attitude, Aiden is still, in Ethan's word, psychotic, killing everything in sight. Aiden reminds Ethan that the only thing in his sight right now is Ethan. The two get ready to fight, but are interrupted when they're tased by Isaac. Normally, this is the time where the interrupter would say something witty, but Isaac says he's not witty. Same energy as when Styles told him to channel all of his anger towards Lydia into an assignment for English class. Nightstick said he'd rather channel it into killing her because he's not very good at writing. That moment oh, was hilarious. Lydia makes a deal with Peter behind the others' backs in exchange for helping them help Styles. How do they keep a secret from Scott when they're just in the next room? Dude has super hearing. He's very polite and does not eavesdrop. I don't think that's how that works. Peter then tells the others to the plan. Scott and Lydia are going to go into Void Styles' mind and resurface the real Styles. In the original script, Peter was more poetic when telling them that someone must accompany Scott. He says, When Theseus went into the labyrinth to kill the Minotaur, he had Ariadne's thread to guide him. If you're going into the labyrinth of Styles' mind, someone needs to go in with you. At the school, Isaac scrambles to find a lighter to use on his homemade Molotov cocktail, which he plans to use on the unconscious twins as payback for the deaths of Erica and Boyd. Has any show loved Molotov cocktails like this one has? Nope. So that was the booze that Coach just kept in his desk, right? Yep. Actually, in the original script, it is explained that Isaac brought it. Isaac says, come on, Coach, you've got to have a lighter. I brought the whiskey. Shouldn't you have the lighter? A bottle half full of whiskey sits on the desk while Isaac continues his search. And then Isaac says, how am I supposed to make a firebomb without the fire? Isaac peers up, a strangely confused look. He talks to himself, words spilling out of him. 
through a frantic whisper. Firebomb. That's not, that's not what it's called. What is it called? Why do you care? I don't care. I'll burn the whole place down. We'll burn everything down. For Boyd and Erica, for my mother, for all of them. I would have really liked to have heard that bit. Does he think he's talking to Allison? I took that as it's the Nagitsune. Like, like Isaac kind of broke through a little bit and was talking with the Nagitsune. What does for my mother mean? I guess that would have been a hint at maybe something bad happening to his mom. She wasn't in the picture in season two, so probably did. We know how this works on this show. I was actually confusing this with Allison's mother-based uh, vendetta. But yeah. yeah, I don't get that. Kira with her katana and Allison with her bow interrupt Isaac's plan. I love Kira and Allison fighting together. Go it's power. Great. Yes, it's great. Even though Peter hasn't given them any specifics on how they can bring their real styles back to the surface, even if they do find him, Dean warns that they're running out of time. So Scott puts his claws in Styles' neck as well as Lydia's to enter his mind. Now, does this count as a three-way? We'll count it for now. At the same time, Derek has Chris tied to a chair and he pours accelerant on him. They're all very into fire right now. That's very true. Derek says that he's not going to light him on fire yet. Derek's smile during this bit is so good. It's wild seeing Derek smile. Horrifically, this is possibly the smiliest we ever see him. Yeah, Tyler Hecklin's so good in this episode. Derek's going to wait for Allison to get home so she can watch. Joke's on you. I never know when she's coming home. Chris tells him. (laughs) (laughs) As uncertain allies become enemies again, a couple of enemies become uncertain allies. Splinsky observes incredulously that Raphael just saved his job. Raphael explains that he had two reasons for doing it. One, not even Sherlock Holmes could figure all this shit out because Beacon Hills is, quote, literally the Bermuda Triangle of homicides, disappearances, and strange occurrences, end quote. Is that what literally means? It literally does. Raphael's second reason is that impeaching the sheriff wasn't even why he really came to Beacon Hills. It was just a fun side hobby. Raphael stalled the impeachment as an excuse to stay longer and get a chance to have a talk with Scott. Stalinsky says that since Raphael did a huge favor for him, he'll do a small favor for Raphael by giving him some advice. I feel like he caused most of Stalinsky's trouble. Right! Stolinsky tells Raphael that the next time he sees Scott, he should just tell him everything right then and there. Yeah, he could have had this emotional catharsis weeks ago and bypassed all of this. Unfortunately, though, he's a coward. Scott, I used to be an alcoholic asshole. Now, I'm just a regular asshole. See? There. Quick and easy. Scott and Lydia wake up in an Eichenhaus-like environment, strapped to beds. Lydia reminds Scott that he's a supernatural creature and can break free. God, what would you do without Lydia? They would all be dead. Sometimes I feel like her role is to be like, you can do it. And then after they've done it, be like, oh good, I wasn't actually sure you could do it. (laughs) She actually did save the day in season one by teaching the others how to make a self-igniting Molotov cocktail although it was then abused in this episode. And then she saved the day again in season two with her magical kiss of savitude. 3A is really the first season where she's not instrumental to stopping the bad guy. Oh yeah, she does for sure save the day. She just also spends a lot of time hyping the others up, like with Styles and the Metal Trap. You don't need to read Styles. you're smart. You can figure it out. She projects a lot of confidence. She's trying to let them in on her secret which is be confident even if you're not. I mean, we very much see that with her in season two when she goes back to school for the first time after being attacked by Peter and everyone's staring at her and stuff and she just takes a deep breath, fixes her hair and struts. Yeah, that confidence she projects, it's called the straight white man. 
<laughs> just you just barrel through it. Unfortunately, Scott and Lydia immediately get separated. Balloons fall from the ceiling above Lydia. Oh, I love this transition. I know. It's one of my favorites. I used the scene in a music video I did set to the Dresden Dolls cover of Pretty in Pink. It was a Lydia-centric video. Lydia finds herself back in her dress from the winter formal, back in Beacon Hills High School, dressed up for the dance. She calls out for Jackson. Flashing back to Peter's attack, she hears growling behind her. It's the Nogitsune. At the same time, Scott finds himself in a closet pressed up against Allison as they kiss. Allison tells him to stay quiet. He looks up and he's making out with the Nogitsune. Why'd you stop, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> really good Nogitsune voice. Thank you. It's interesting to me that to distract Lydia, the Nogitsune has to use one of her most horrific memories ever to distract Scott. He just has to put him in a closet with Allison. Is it interesting to you or something that you'd expect, Kate? It's something I would expect, but also kind of hope that that wouldn't be the case at this point in his arc. But we've talked before about feeling like he became a true alpha a little sooner in his narrative arc than was really ideal. Yeah. This is even like the last time I feel like something like this happens with Scott. Oh, look, Scott, jangly keys. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, damn. As Lydia runs from the Nagitsune, back in the real world, Melissa notices that Lydia's nose is bleeding. Peter holds her face and yells her name. Is that the voice she needs to hear right now? Right? I hate that he is acting like he for real cares about her. I'm like watching this. I'm like, nobody believes you. You can stop the act. You're so full of shit. I feel like he does actually care about her waking up so that he can get his end of the bargain fulfilled. That's true. Scott remembers that he and Allison aren't together anymore, and that breaks the spell. He and Lydia both burst into the white room they saw during the ritual. Also in the room, they see the Nogitsune and Styles sitting opposite each other with a game of Go between them. Great way to reuse the set, guys. Yeah, what a find. Scott and Lydia run towards Styles and the Nogitsune, but no matter how much they run, they never get any closer. They try calling to him, but Styles doesn't seem to hear. Allison and Kira continue to fight the twins and Isaac. At one point, they have to switch weapons and fight side by side. Oh, I love that bit so much. I want a whole like film just of them fighting together. It's great. Great. At the Arjun's apartment, while Derek hesitates, Chris throws himself backward, breaking the chair to which he's bound and freeing himself. I feel like Derek is the one who struggled the most. It really looks like him fighting in the scene. He's got his head in his hands while Chris is talking. Isaac and the twins give in super easily. We don't really see them trying to hold themselves back. I didn't pick up on that, but you're right. If you watch him in the background of this scene, you see him holding his head in his hands, pressing his fists into his eyes, pacing from side to side. He's struggling with himself. That's Derek. I never noticed that either, but that's great. I love them showing and not telling that. Once again, his acting is just really good in this episode and shows a lot more range than a lot of times we get from Derek who has to be so stoic all the time. It's actually funny in the script it said something about like when he first shows up Derek is strangely calm and distant and I'm like isn't that normally how Derek is? (laughs) (laughs) Chris quickly puts a gun under Derek's chin but he doesn't pull the trigger. Instead he begs Derek not to make Chris kill him. In the white room Lydia has an idea. Styles is in Scott's pack, even though he's human, right? Scott says yes. And how do pack members signal their location to the rest of the pack? They howl. They pee on stuff. Oh, no, no, howl. That's right. <laughs> God, it's a good thing Lydia is there with all these great ideas. Again, they'd all be dead without Lydia. They truly would. Scott howls and it startles Styles out of his stupor. 
Wait a second. I don't know how to play this game. Styles flips the game board, rejecting the game. I don't like this shot. I think it's the only thing I don't like about this episode. Something about the slow-mo doesn't work for me. It feels like, see this film in 3D, it comes right at ya. Yeah, there's something about it that feels a little weird. From the outline, it says, the Nagitsune reaches to make his next move, a winning move, before Styles flips the board. I thought that was an interesting detail. Yeah. And it's the sort of thing that I feel like you would only know from the script unless you're able to see the game board clearly enough and for long enough to know that he's about to win. Right. And know how to play it. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. As the Nagitsune roars with rage, all the infected wolves, Isaac, the twins, and Derek fall unconscious. Lydia and Scott wake up. Peter presses Lydia for her to deliver the purse out of the bargain, the name of his child. She agrees and tells him her name is Malia. Just then, Styles startles awake, choking. See, now we know Styles loves Malia. She said her name and he woke up. Okay, why does he wake up from that? I don't actually think he does wake up from that. I don't think it's connected. It's just how the timing worked out. Well, as you point out, it does seem like he woke up because of it. Yeah, but I agree with Will. I don't think they're trying to say story-wise he woke up because of Malia's name. I think it was just dramatic timing for that beat. That's fair. I just think they shouldn't have timed it exactly like that since it's not an important plot point. Styles pulls the tape off his mouth and coughs up a long length of gauze. From the pile of bandages, the Nagitsune emerges. Oh, that looks so good. I mean, didn't they say, like, Dylan O'Brien actually, like, gagging and almost making himself throw up because he was... You guys didn't just, like, CGI and pulling the entire thing out. He, like, actually had a fair amount that he put in his mouth and was trying to... Yeah, he had a lot in there. Which is good. I feel like if it had been CG, it would have looked terrible. Yeah, like a magician with scarves. <laughs> The other's gazes are locked on the Nagitsune as Peter and Scott struggle to hold him. Scott pulls off his bandages to reveal Styles. He wasn't even supernatural, and they were having trouble holding him. He's super flaily. The flail is strong with this one. Line him up and figure out which one is the evil one. It'll be like that Tia and Tamara episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? The chameleon. By the time they all get their bearings, including Styles, they realize that the other Styles, which was actually the Nagitsune, has disappeared with Lydia. The episode ends there. Damn it, Scott, you left the door open again. The ones in the back should have kept an eye out. They weren't helping. They were just sitting there watching. <laughs> Look at you, Deaton. <laughs> <laughs> He's not useful like that. We know this. The original notes for this episode were really interesting, and I thought we could read through them and discuss. In the notes, it says, Scott doesn't want to bite Styles. At least not yet. He wants to try everything else first. Styles might not even be strong enough to survive it. Or they might create an even more powerful Nogitsune. Wait, what? Oh, they just think that the scroll was... Well, I, I'm assuming that <laughs> by this point in the notes or whatever, like we've talked about Deaton not being exactly sure about that scroll. So it's like, well, then anything could happen. Like literally anything if we don't know. Yeah, I'm still so annoyed by that. Anyway, the notes go on to say, Melissa deals with Styles' wounds, sews up the gash in his stomach. At the end, a fly crawls out of the stitches and flies to Scott at the end. Melissa needs to IV him to hydrate him. Guys, what's happening to him? The IV tube fills up in reverse with silver or black fluid going to the bag. I think that would have been a very cool visual to see, like, the bag filling up with silver. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Deaton arrives. The expert. The exorcist. He thinks that Styles is like a time bomb and they shouldn't wake him until they figure this out. But Lydia says, I know he's in there. Maybe she screams and is able to hear real Styles. Help me. Where am I? I'm dying. He's dying. Ticking clock. She insists they wake him. They have to get him, bring him back. 
Dean suggests that Scott needs to mind meld with Styles. Do they need Peter or does Deaton know the basics? It's in parentheses there. Is Jeff a big Star Trek person? Well, I mean, that was just the easiest thing to call it, the mind meld, you know, because it was shorthand. We all know what that means. In the kitchen, Deaton and Melissa discuss how to wake Void Styles while Lydia sits with him in the living room. Then it gets in a wakes on his own and begins to torment Lydia by telling her Styles found someone better at Eichenhaus, that she isn't living up to her full potential, that it's her fault her parents' marriage failed. She screams to get him to shut up. In the silence from that scream, she hears Styles' real voice calling out to her, terrified, begging for help. I am glad that wasn't in there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much a lot of this stuff involving Styles and Lydia, I just while reading through, I was like, Kate would be super happy this is not included. <laughs> well, I don't like the idea of saying that Lydia is really upset that Styles found someone else because she hasn't done anything whatsoever at this point in the story to suggest that she's in love with Styles. So I just think that's weird. They do list some different things. I could see her being really upset at maybe not the rest of it, but that she isn't living up to her full potential because we see her really struggling trying to get like her grasp on the Banshee powers. And she talks about how she wants to be the one who can actually help and not just get there after the people are already dead. Yeah, yeah. I think those things would have made a lot more sense. Like the parents' marriage thing, like we haven't even talked about that since season one. Right. I understand that this is very soon after that, like timeline wise, <laughs> but narratively, we literally only talked about that the one time. Right. I feel like if this had made it actually into the episode, it's representative of the Nagitsune throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, you know, of finding the weakness in the person, you know, because he's not in her, you know, so like he's in styles. I feel like if he's if he's got you, he knows instantly how to get you because he's already in your brain, you know, but like when but he's styles just styles knows her better than. Yeah, that. I feel like even saying like instead of like saying that Styles found someone new because yeah, I feel like that's weird. Like they're not together. If he was trying to use like a love thing, like since her love state saved Jackson just to be like, you know, you saved him and then he just left you. Yeah, you're struggling and he left you. Right. Mm -hmm. You literally saved his life with the power of your love. And then he just f***ed off to London. Yeah. Does exactly. he ever call you? Does he mm -hmm. check in? Does he care about what you're doing? Or is he just living his new better life as right. a werewolf? And yeah. maybe even talk about Aiden. Because we do have a scene with her and Aiden in this episode. And say something like, isn't it sad that after mm -hmm. Jackson left you, you end up with this guy who murdered your classmate? You know, things like that, things that actually align with our understanding of Lydia, because I feel like the show has wanted us to believe that Styles gets her. Mm -hmm. Even if they aren't together, he understands her and what's important to her. And anything Styles knows, the Nogitsune knows. Right. So it's weird for him to be like, yeah, your parents' marriage. Like, there's absolutely nothing to support that striking any kind of nerve. Right. No, absolutely. And this is a reminder, Wolfies, that we have to go through a lot of bad ideas to get to the good ones. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying I'm glad we didn't have it. Oh, right. Yes, no, absolutely. You got to talk for a long time with a whole group of writers before you figure out exactly what's the right thing to do. Moving on with these notes, when Scott does the mind meld with Styles, he sees something terrifying and it drives him out. The real face of the Nagitsune. That would have been interesting. Yeah, I remember that yeah. idea where he goes in. And I think it was something like he goes in and probably would have been in the high school hallway because it was a set we had. And <laughs> but it like would have been like really 
like weird or chiaroscuro. And then all of a sudden, you know, this figure is coming into focus and we just get Scott's reaction and then him leaping out of the mind meld. And like what he saw was like the true form mm-hmm. of the Nikitsune. But the audience wouldn't have seen it? Never, no, it's a Cthulhu monster. There's no way to, you can't actually show that and have it be impressive. Yes, I fully agree with that. Yeah. Fully agree with that. I was just curious. Yeah. Melissa and I just watched Laura Hasn't Slept, the short film that ultimately became Smile. Mm. And this isn't a spoiler in case mm. anyone hasn't seen it, because the short film actually functions a little bit like a prequel to okay. the feature. And in it, Laura says that she thinks the entity that is wearing different people's faces and smiling at her is ultimately trying to show her its real face. And she feels like if that happens, she'll die. Mm. And in the short film, so I guess minor spoilers for a short film that's been out for a while. (laughs) At the end of the short film, we do see the entity's real face and it is not impressive. That's just such a perfect example of like, don't show me, don't show me. Oh, you did it. Okay. Because whatever's in your imagination is going to be scarier. Yeah. Like I'm not saying you shouldn't ever show monsters. There are plenty of horror movies that I love that do show the scary thing. Mm -hmm. But there are just some things, especially where you have that Cthulhu-esque idea of if you were ever to lay eyes on it, it would kill you or drive you crazy or pop you right back out of your friend's psyche, whatever it is. It's so awful that it's going to do something to you. But then you show the audience, obviously nothing happens to them. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, kind of it like doesn't work, right? Remember that movie we watched that had James Badgedale in it, and that yeah. was three movies in one the tall movie. Man. The tall, tall, no, not tall man. It was what? the Empty Man. Empty Man. The Empty, empty man. man. Yeah, tall that man three movies just, yeah. in one movie. Um, like because it it starts with that with those people in Nepal or whatever, and they find that skeleton altar to some eldritch horror. I was like, that's cool. That is interesting. I don't want to see it again. You know, like if this monster is coming after people, don't show it to me because mm-hmm. you've already given you've gl- we've glimpsed it. That's enough. But then none of that happened because it was three movies in one movie. Very bad. Don't watch it, people. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, don't watch it. It's it's pointless. Also in the notes, Deaton reminds them that Lydia was Styles's anchor in the ritual, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe they need to open his door again. She can help. Styles will be able to hear her. Scott has to do a double mind meld connecting Styles and Lydia. Deaton says it's too dangerous, but Lydia wants to do it. We see her willingness to sacrifice for the real Styles. You guys got to do it last time. I need to do it this time. Lydia makes a call to her mom to say goodbye just in case. And there's a little bit of dialogue too. Scott asks, are you sure you want to do this? Lydia says, enter Styles' mind? No. Am I going to find a bunch of naked me's in there? I feel like you hate uh, that line too. <laughs> I'm okay with that just because it feels more like Lydia trying to bring some levity to the situation. Yeah. More so than anything else that just her trying to be like, what can I tease him about that will make this feel less dire? Because I mean, if she's making a phone call to her mom, that's potentially a goodbye phone call. That's dire as f- That's about as yeah, dire it as it gets. Yeah. I just interpret that as her being like, what's something kind of silly that I can joke about that will maybe get a, a slight chuckle right but then the joke's on her because she goes into his brain and it's just a whole bunch of naked derricks <laughs> and she's like oh she's like, this okay. is odd but explains things <laughs> also i'm 
fine with it. Yeah, this is fine. Or it's just her being like, oh my God, we're so going to talk about this later. <laughs> yeah. I have so many questions. So many questions. Peter becomes possessed and tries to kill Scott. Melissa and Stolinski need to stop him. They throw him out. I wrote all this super fast, so there's going to be a lot missing. They throw him out the Mount Ash. I think they said something about like Mount Ash like surrounding the house. So maybe they try to push him past the barrier. I don't know. If that oh, yeah, that's probably what that something. is. Ooh. He goes to the other wolves, tells them where Scott is. Double yeah. mind rebelled. They go into the white room, find Styles alone, dying, shrunken, a husk of himself, which is what you said earlier, giraffe husk. <laughs> they find a sad, shriveled little giraffe husk. Yeah. In the white room, Lydia finds Styles seated beside the hospital bed where his mother lies. I won't leave her. I'll never leave her. Only Lydia can see his mother in bed. She tries to convince Styles to leave. That would have broke Shit. my heart. Yeah. 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 It would have been really rough. Styles is building an elaborate castle with building blocks or like a sand castle and just keeps collapsing. He's playing Go with an Agitsune. In the game, you're either alive, dead, or unsettled, like Bardo. Is that part of Go? I don't actually know how to play Go. I so. want to say yes, but I do no. not remember. It has been a long time. And then someone saying, you can sacrifice a group of stones on one side of the board in order to make a more important play on the other side of the board. Yes, this is what in chess they call a pawn sacrifice or more broadly, a poisoned piece. Mm. But chess is Styles' game. <laughs> um, there's also just a list of general ideas. One of them is in the white room. Do they find all the infected werewolves seated? Silver eyes, silver teeth. Use the Oni teeth. That would be cool. See. The whole trick of this is Scott is the one wolf who hasn't been infected because as a true alpha, he's able to overcome it. Ugh. Hate that. I just, I just don't. You, we don't like people who are too powerful for this. Yes. No, no. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't like when you're like. have been watching a lot of Superman. Yeah. Which is going to be a bonus episode, you guys. We're going to talk about season two. And don't worry, it won't just be raining on the Superman parade. But one thing that we have talked about is that in the adaptation from comic book to screen, it feels like they needed to make Superman less overpowered than he is in the comics. Sometimes they have to do the whole, yeah, obviously he could do this, but we're going to pretend he can't in this moment because that's what the story needs. But it's like, the reason you have to do that is because he's so overpowered. And I wouldn't want that to be the case with Scott, where as a true right. alpha, he just has special power after special power after special power. It minimizes some of the danger and tension if there's no worry that that could happen to him. Yeah. The Nagitsune weakens him in the white room emotionally. Styles' story, so the fly can infect him in the McCall house. This is the Nagitsune's trick. Maybe this results in Scott losing his wolf powers at the end of the episode. Allison managed to sever the ties of the Nugitsune to the wolves, but the Nugitsune has managed to infect Scott for 323, which would be the episode immediately following this one. I think it's interesting he decided to ditch that entirely. Yep. Yeah, because it's a totally different direction. Yeah. 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 Maybe the wolves descend on the house and Scott has to lead them away with Allison's help. We'd also talked about, you know, we see each of the wolves get infected. The fly goes into Scott's ear as he sleeps and then falls out and dies. It can't infect him. Or Scott slash Peter catch it and squeeze it between their fingers and silver smudge kind of comes out. When Isaac shows up, you know, everyone or Scott is surprised, excited that he's out of the hospital, but then he attacks Scott. Something happened to him. 
Uh, oh no, not my boyfriend. <laughs> this is just like season two. <laughs> Scott goes to the school looking for Isaac. There's a commotion and he finds the twins brawling. He breaks them up, but they're angry with him. He's not their alpha. Uh, he wouldn't let them in his pack. As he walks away, Aiden starts to go after him, but Ethan stops him. Not yet, he says. Or maybe Isaac goes after Derek first while Scott is on Styles' story. Which, oh, Derek doesn't suffer enough. Right? I mean, wasn't it hurtful enough the last really serious conversation we saw between Derek and Isaac? We then, but I mean, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, the next part actually says, we see their infection play out as their deep-seed conflicts with each other. So Isaac resents Scott because he had Allison and has family. Twins with each other. Each is holding the other back. Aiden sees Ethan as too weak. Ethan sees Aiden as too violent, which we actually do get in the episode. Mm-hmm. Derek is jealous of everything Scott has. Maybe just, like, his mom. I feel like oh. he's be. Well, I guess his mom and, like, his friends. because I he feel like styles. He would... A house that isn't in ruins. Oh, Isaac doesn't like the twins. Uh, which, yeah, we do see that. Peter wants to be Scott. Derek is mad at Isaac for leaving his pack. And everybody hates Peter. Well, that, <laughs> like that last everybody thing. Everybody hates Chris. <laughs> sure, sure. That last thing, totally, totally get it. I don't see any part of Derek as being mad at Isaac for leaving his pack. I think the deeper you go, the self-loathing just goes deeper. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, I get it. I would leave me too. Yeah. Well, I mean, Derek drove him out. Yeah, but I mean, even like... Oh, you mean after everything, all the resolution and, and oh, right, I see what you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, then, yeah. you know, when Isaac is like, why did you bite us? Were you lonely? And he surprisingly answers and says maybe, which I found absolutely shocking Yeah. Um, for Derek's character. I think that was a really huge moment and kind of underplayed because we almost never get him to voluntarily say how he feels about something. Yeah. You know what else he's jealous of Scott for having? Blankets that aren't made out of the ashes of his family. Oh, oh my God. Go sit in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> you need a timeout. <laughs> like, okay, so since after and everybody hates Peter, everybody goes after Peter. I kind of like love the idea of just like this mob chasing after Peter. <laughs> <laughs> the bills come due, motherfucker. Yeah. Actually, we should all be going after Scott. He convinces them. Or Scott has to save him. Or this or is me adding, he, he lets him die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my first thought too. Also in the notes, Allison, Brayden, Kira, they're going to help. Brayden is first revealed sleeping with Derek and she stays to help. She tells Allison Derek was just some fun. Oh no. Aww. Aww. Sad. Then she leaves when things get bad. Then Han Solo returns and Allison says, I guess you actually like him. The romance can blossom from then on if we want. At the end of the episode, she finds Derek chained up. Why do I always find you tied up? Valid question. We also had some ideas about how to get the wolves out from under the Nigatsune's sway. Kira opens a wound on the werewolf and the fly escapes. The werewolf's healing pushes out the fly. Kill the wolves in the white room and the wolves are freed in the real world, the fly dying there. Kira's foxfire could have worked like a giant bug zapper. That would have been a lot of fun, I think. You know, kind of electrocute them. Totally. Maybe lichen could work. Uh, some tea from Nishiko. Also, where does Allison set her traps? Argent's supply warehouse, in the loft. Maybe Allison uses flash bolts to drive the wolves into a pre-rigged pattern of mountain ash that separates them all from each other as she closes the center. 
You know, we had some various other ideas. Uh, Raphael comes to the house looking for Scott. Styles told him that Scott wanted to talk. Maybe then it gets and exposes the secret of why uh, Raphael left. What precautions do they take before waking up Void Styles? Do they use sedatives? Do they, you know, tie him up? Is there a mountain ash ring? When Scott and Lydia enter Styles' mind, we flash back to defining moments throughout the series that helps shape who Styles is. Arjun is in Mexico negotiating with Araya. He's hired Braden to stay in Beacon Hills and to contact him immediately if any other hunters come to town. Does Allison try kissing Isaac to bring him back? And then when it doesn't work, Allison says, well, Lydia said it would work. And then she just stun guns Isaac instead. Okay, now that sounds kind of really funny. Not that I want to see more pain for Isaac, but just I like the idea of like a kid's having work for Lydia. So she tries it and then she's like, oh, that didn't work. Better stun gun. Yeah. It reminds me of the, did you guys ever see that comic that was like when all the Disney princes are hanging out with each other and I think it's Aladdin falls and hurts himself while they're all, I don't know, playing soccer together or something. And then it just cuts to him waking up and he has kiss marks all over his face and they were like sorry we didn't know what to do because <laughs> <laughs> they tried the one thing that always right. works it's it's kind of like that where Lydia's like I mean it worked for me might as well give that a shot you know yeah that, that's cute that would have been fun yeah all right Wolfies that wraps up the beta section for Devoid, and now we're about to dive into spoilers not just for this episode but for the whole Teen Wolf series if you want to stay spoiler-free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. You're dealing with the kind of spirit that's lived too long to play by human rules. It's a fox spirit that chose to become human and supposedly that's something they can do only after about a hundred years. If a kitsune is an annoying pain in the ass, then a nogitsune which is a dark kitsune, is a freaking disaster. Besides, Chester Styles' game, it's not the game of a Japanese fox. All right, Wolfies, now we're going to jump over to our interview with Holly Sherman, one of the stand-ins on Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. Holly, how did Teen Wolf come into your life? Teen Wolf came into my life pretty much... When I was brought on to be Adelaide's photo double, mm-hmm. I, I remember it was like a couple night shoots and I stayed awake the whole time. So maybe they're like, okay, hey, hey. <laughs> it could be I tough getting called back. And, you know, they didn't need me to photo double her eventually because she wasn't on the show anymore. And how it all began four all years. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> Fantastic. Bringing me back. How did you end up as a photo double? My photo was put into a mix of probably about a hundred other photos and just like hair color, like casting was like, okay, it's pretty much like height and hair color and skin tone that they look for. Awesome. Hey, yeah. hey, this, the, the, the business works in such a weird way, you know, yeah. that it's like some people go for things and other times it's just like you bump into someone or you answer an email and there you go. It's just kind of. <laughs> right how it works. So fantastic. So what was a typical day like for you on set? Well, if there was such a thing as a typical day on Teen Wolf, I feel like it was always so different, Mm -hmm. you know, location versus stage versus night shoots. But like on stage, I'd pretty much just get there and find my little cubby next to a monitor and 
unpack and just kind of watch and learn and be there when I'm needed and goof off. We all like goofed around, you know, all day. <laughs> Big family and just a lot of laughing and a lot of joking and a lot of pranks every day. That sounds like <laughs> a perfect job. I mean, God. you just go in for scene, usually set up with us while the actors are in hair and makeup. A lot of times that's how it went. We just set up the scene and the actors would come in and we'd start our day. So what is a photo double? Like we, we've spoken to stand-ins before, but I'm not really familiar with how that works. Um, a photo double is a lot of times actors have turnaround time and they have to be off of set or it's something that they're not actually needed in because it's just like a shoulder or the back of their head. It could be like a full body double. I think that's what I came in for originally. I was playing okay. her, like um, she was being carried. I think Scott might've been carrying her or something. I don't Mm. I remember they don't actually see your face, but it can be any other body part other than your face, pretty much. Gotcha. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Actually, it can be your face now, and they can just CGI it out and put the actor's face on your face, which is pretty scary. Oh, that, yeah, is, that is crazy. crazy. Yeah, that's <laughs> that crazy. Straight up crazy. I was working on a show one time, and I'm like looking. They're like, look right at the camera, and I'm like, uh, how? <laughs> don't worry about it. We fix it in post. I'm like. <laughs> All right. Got it. That is pretty wild. Yeah. It is very wild. Yeah. That's where Absolutely. we're coming to with technology. So yeah. So would you watch an episode and be like, hey, there's the yeah. back of my head or there's my hand or like. Sometimes I can tell. Most of the time I can't, but every now and then, yeah, I can tell. Okay. Nice. So once you became like a regular stand-in, do you have a particular person you would be a stand-in for or was it just kind of just when needed? It was pretty much for everybody. I mean, I even stood in for Matthew Del Negro, which is like 6'3". Wow. Six, so they pretty much put me everywhere. If if anything was needed, I was just there every day. Oh, Instead gotcha. of having somebody else his height come on, they're like, hey, you know, we want to give you the work, which was really cool. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. It, tape a bunch of apple boxes which is like this wood box they can stack on top of each other and they just tape a bunch together and have me stand on top of it so it was pretty funny so our next question is actually a fan question she says i'd guess a stand-in has a perfect opportunity to be a silent observer on a set and get to see a lot what was the coolest thing you got to see or hear or learn from set that you would say makes you appreciate your role I think just how everybody, like the whole team of people just come together and make it happen. And it takes so much effort. And I, I don't think people realize like for 20 seconds, it could take, it could be a 14 hour day just to film something that you're going to see for 20 seconds. Cause so much is edited, so much is cut out, but it's just amazing to see all the different departments, hundreds of people working together to get this 20 seconds. But I've always blown away by, you know, how how much effort it takes and how much work and how many people just to get that little bit out for the viewer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember when we talked to Melissa Ponzio a while back, where it's just everything is just about the frame, the frame that you see, the final image. And then it's like you have no clue what's happening outside that yeah. frame where it's mm -hmm. people holding flags and someone like with a fan and someone else, you know, doing you know, splattering with a spray blood. bottle. <laughs> right. And there's so much happening outside the frame because the frame looks so beautiful and perfect. You're like, my God, they must have just taken a camera somewhere and filmed it. And it's like, nope, you have yeah, no idea. Like the army of people. When when the doors open to the school and the leaves are all blowing in, there's like somebody with like this gigantic fan, like, and you hear the director go, leaves, leaves, 
Fun, <laughs> you know. Yeah, pretty funny to see all that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Awesome. Do you have any fun memories from set that you'd like to share? There were so many in between, like little insert moments of when we had like you know ten minutes here or like twenty minutes there to just kind of like goof off, you know, with the camera department. Like I have video of it on my Instagram of us like pushing each other in chairs like down the school um, <laughs> hallway. And I was just thinking, wow, we should have like little bowling pins or something and like make it into a game where we play like human bowling. But we just oh do things like that and like riding little scooter things around and just being goofy. And um, I brought my dog to set a few times and had him like Aww. run around and that was Aww. really cute. I brought my piano and I had my piano in the camera room. And so if they didn't need me, I just kind of like go in there and, and, uh, play for a little bit so there's like all these little good memories that little little tidbits that's um, wonderful I'll always remember I'll never forget it was such a laid-back set definitely the most laid-back I've ever been on and the longest I've ever been on too so it was definitely good times oh yeah Jeff was definitely a fan of once he found someone he liked he was like please don't leave us ever let's just all stay and do this so yeah it was, it was great I, rem I remember like my dog he had something with his eye and so he had like a cone and everything and I was afraid to leave him for you know because our days are so long and I brought him and he was like out in my car all day and I'd go check on him like every 20 minutes and I'm finally like okay I'm just gonna bring him in and Jeff happened to be walking out of the building right as I was walking in with a dog and I'm like oh great you know and he's like oh oh, your dog is so cute. And he was so nice. And he was just didn't like say anything. So I just brought him in and actually started bringing him in quite a bit more after that. It was I think it was the last season too. So yeah. Oh, yeah. By the end of it. I mean, like Barbara's dog yeah. was there all the time. You know, Felix was there all the time. And Damon's dog was there all the time. And, you know, so it's just like you walk into the into the bullpen and there's just animals wandering yeah. around. And you're like, this is the greatest job in the That's world. That's how it should be. No. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, that's how Nibbles was there a lot. Yeah, Ian's dog Nibbles Ian's was in the writer's yes. room always. Oh, and his dog was so cute. Yeah. yeah, super, super cute. Calissa and I used to babysit him when Ian was out of town. And having done that, I fully understand why Nibbles was it. Because I remember Will showing us pictures of him like, look, this is Nibbles on set on or in the writer's room. And once we babysat him, we understood why, because he was an absolute melodramatic mess when Ian was gone he was yeah. just like very neurotic he would just throw his body haphazardly on the couch like life is pointless he just We're couldn't person. he could not go on so yep I think it's it was certainly good for Nibbles that Jeff was very pro dog because Ian was his emotional support human and he did not tolerate absences very well he did not <laughs> he did not. I think I actually have a picture of Nibbles laying on the couch in the writer's room, just exasperated, just like <laughs> it's over. It's done. And and Ian, because we were so close to set, like in, in that writer's room, the uh, the hospital was right through one door. So you like walk through one door and you're in the lobby of the hospital. And like Ian's over there, like at Video Village doing something. And then he'll walk back into the room and Nibbles is like, you're alive. I'm alive. We can live all now. And he just runs around and loses his mind. Aww. But yeah. <laughs> Mine was so good. Like he didn't even bark. He just stay in our medic's office, which is mm -hmm. like right in the middle of set. So yeah. if he barked, you were going to hear it. <laughs> like sleep and. Oh, that's fantastic. Last time I let him like run around and. What a That's professional. Awesome. Yeah, very yeah. professional doggo. 
That's good. Holly, were you aware of Teen Wolf before you joined the show? I wasn't. I had seen the movie, mm-hmm. Michael J. Fox movie. Yeah. But I wasn't aware that there was a TV show gotcha. before I started working on it. What was your impression when you came onto the show, having only seen the movie and then you're walking in <laughs> to season two? Um, <laughs> and it's just like, what the hell is happening here? Season three. Or season three, yes. I mean, I knew it was nothing like the movie. The name was the same, mm-hmm. but like this, I think his name was Scott in the movie. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I knew it for sure it was a totally different genre type thing. It was definitely the best show I've ever worked on because mm-hmm. everybody was like family by the end. It was just great. And, but it was also one of the hardest shows that I've ever worked on as well. Yeah, that's how it usually goes, I guess. The ones that ask the most for me or end up being the ones that you you love the most. So it's yeah. yeah. If you could have played any character on Teen Wolf, who would it be? Probably Malia. Good pick. Yeah, very good pick. She had a little bit of like ditziness, but like also some sass. And um, I just liked the joking. I liked the the dialogue that she got. Nice. It's cute. I just, I would have preferred pants if I was playing her because they always had her in these tiny little shorts and it was, you know, <laughs> freezing and four in the morning and <laughs> oh, poor yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Could imagine. Yeah. Who on the Teen Wolf set, cast or crew, would make the best alpha? Everybody was so laid back and treated so equally, which is rare because a lot of times people aren't treated equally on set. And I think of like an alpha as somebody that would, you know, take control of everybody and everything. And I just don't really see that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Teen Wolf was a laid back pack. We didn't have to have an alpha. Did you guys ask that question to Schnabel by any chance? Oh, I'm sure we did. Yeah. Yeah. What he said. I'm curious. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> That's been a while now. It's <laughs> been a while. I do not we know. We actually should, I feel like, go back through everyone mm-hmm. and show, like, percentage who they okay. said. Yeah, we could do that. You know? Because we, we've had some repeat names. Yeah. I think the answers we've had the most were Jeff and Tyler Posey. I think. Mm-hmm. Usually. Yeah. I feel like we've had a couple Melissa Ponzio, too. We have. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mm-hmm. see. I wasn't thinking about the actors. I was just ah. thinking about like crew behind crew. the scenes. I mean, I would definitely say Posey, like a hundred percent. So speaking of Tyler Schnabel, we did in fact interview him in the past. What was it like working with him and the other stand-ins? I know you mentioned like a lot of fun and a lot of pranks and stuff. I had so much fun working with Tyler and Trevor. They were so great. I mean, it was like very sibling type relationship to me anyway. But it was a lot of like relationship advice giving and like, you know, just fun stuff like that you talk to like a little brother about or something. But we goofed off a lot and we worked so much together that I feel like we could kind of come in and know like, oh, I'm not going to talk to you right now because you're in a bad mood. Or um, we just kind of knew what each other we I think we started finishing each other's sentences sometimes because we were together so often. So, but they were a blast, both of them to work with every day. So it was pretty much just the three of us every day. And then every now and then they'd bring in somebody new or we'd have like a, another unit and they'd bring in a couple of new people. Am I remembering correctly, Holly, that Eric Porn or Chris Gallagher put you in werewolf makeup for one of the conventions? They did. I think it was called BiteCon. Was it BiteCon? Okay. <laughs> Okay. So. Carly was there mm-hmm. and Eric. Yeah, I went, I think it was like two hours of makeup. And then we went on a panel. Nice. 
Was Tyler Schnabel there too? Oh, no, no, no. He wasn't there. It was just me. That's also that you got to be in the makeup and everybody got to see how it went and and all that. Uh, But that's extra cool because that's where the three of us met. Was actually at that convention. Yeah. Yeah, he might have been there on a different day because he was definitely there because I I got a picture with him. But yeah, so it might have just been a different day that he was there. Because I think it was more than one day. Maybe he wasn't. Mm -hmm there but I just kind of went because I was just in hair and makeup the whole time like for two hours and then I went out on the panel and then I went I left was that your first time being in the wolf makeup it was yeah how was it it wasn't uncomfortable or anything it wasn't heavy or I don't remember it being like itchy or anything it was just it was fine nice it was fun Fantastic. yeah it was a good experience I saw you shared on Instagram a photo of a call sheet with your picture on it could you tell us more about that yeah So on all our call sheets, they would take a photo. Usually it was cast that they'd have the photo um, on the call sheet. And then one time I got the call sheet and it was my face. So (laughs) I was like, oh, you know, I just felt included. And it's one of those things that you're just like, oh, I'm noticed. Like this felt special. So yeah, it was just something cute. And I remember the photo being taken and was not expecting it to be on the call sheet. So Actually, it wasn't the only one. There was another one on a call sheet with me, like holding a dead rat up like that. Uh, <laughs> wow. <a> dead rat. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cute, though. Yeah. Nice detail. If you could be any Teen Wolf creature, what would you be? I think I'd have to go with the Skinwalker. Nice. Oh. Nice. I, I you... just, I like the outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I like nice. the furry, like, headpiece and the face painting and yeah the, like the leather pieces and I just liked the whole vibe nice yeah film. Barbara and her folks and Carly and her folks they all did a fantastic job doing it with the makeup and the and the uh and the wardrobe to bring those characters to life so yeah they had a fantastic look yeah it looked really cool they did did you have a favorite Teen Wolf set to work in or be in anything that wasn't bloody <laughs> <laughs> Well, that actually narrows it down quite a bit. So, you know, it's funny because I look at the call sheet and the first thing I look at is like, there's a little space that says like what props they're going to need for the next day. And that's the first thing I look at and I'd be like, blood, blood, blood. Oh, are they going to have blood? Okay. So I'd prepare myself to be like on my hands and knees, like crawling in blood. (laughs) So a lot of times we'd put like a big mat down or something like right in the center of like this massive puddle of I don't like soap and dye and uh, they'd be like lay down in that, you know, but yeah, pretty much anything that wasn't bloody was fun. But I did like, there was one location in particular that it was like the old YMCA downtown, I think, but the eighth street, Y YMCA. Yes. Made into I... apartment buildings now, but it's an old building and they had all these neat little, I love old buildings. Um, nice. Like, going through them and exploring and we shot there quite a few times and I thought that was pretty neat that was Eichenhaus yes that, that's Eichenhaus oh yeah. okay mm-hmm. I forgot that it was a YMCA and then apartments and, yeah uh, yeah yes so that's I, a fantastic location yes it was really cool so are there other projects that you worked as a stand-in on yeah I've done a ton of stand-in work most recently the past year I did the Night Court reboot oh nice. very nice yeah and that was fun. And then I did Mighty Ducks too while you guys were shooting the movie. Very well, cool. Because so. I remember um, I got called to see if I could come work on the on Teen Wolf for like a week when you guys were back in LA, but I was on Mighty Ducks. So. Oh, that sucks. That's a shame. 
Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get another movie. And yeah. We can get yes. even more of the band back. <laughs> yes. Can you tell us about Franklin Sunset? Franklin Sunset is my online clothing boutique. I actually started it. Like the idea came while I was still working on Teen Wolf. Oh, fantastic. Oh. Like, what am I going to do when this ends? It definitely felt like I needed a little break. <laughs> and so I wanted to like work on something that could possibly be like a feature. So it, yeah, it's just my little online clothing boutique. It started off as a side project. Now it's my full-time job. So awesome. Super That's cool. fantastic. Yeah. All kinds of women's clothing, like everyday wear, streetwear, bohemian. Very cool. Very cool. How did that come about? How, how was that a path for you? Um, I actually moved out here for fashion. Okay. Yeah. It's always something I wanted to pursue. I didn't know quite what area of fashion, like stylist, wardrobe assistant, store owner, designer, I didn't quite know. And it just kind of fell together as a store owner, hopefully designer. That's awesome. Yes. That'd be fantastic. (laughs) There was a time when I wanted to do set wardrobe. Mm -hmm. (gasps) Um, That's awesome. Well, good luck with that. I, I've I perused through through the website, and it's totally it's totally awesome. It's very yeah, it's, very cool, and it's so yeah. great that it's your full time job. I mean, that's yeah, awesome. awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely be sure to share that on our socials as well. Absolutely. Yeah, well, thank you. What is your favorite werewolf movie? No, if I've actually seen a lot of werewolf movies, I've seen like the vampire werewolf, like Twilight. Mm-hmm. Mm. I did see Silver Bullet, Silver Bullet, Stephen King. Yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. one. Classic. Classic. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that. Hey, hey you, you chose you chose one right enough. up at the top. So I mean, there you go. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's a that's I mean, a really good one. So you mentioned your love of fashion, but were there any other jobs on set that you'd be interested in stepping into? Actually, while I was on the set, when I was still working on Teen Wolf, I was also working in casting at the same time. I have a couple years of casting experience before Teen Wolf. So I was actually casting projects on my own and I was juggling working night shoots on Teen Wolf and then casting for a client that would wake me up at 8 a.m. in the morning after we'd wrap at like 6 a.m. Oh, and wow. I'd like work all day and then come into Teen Wolf and everybody was wondering, they're like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And then Jeff, I believe, actually contacted, I think it's Wendy O'Brien, she was mm-hmm. casting and contacted them, I believe, on my behalf and asked them if they ever need anybody that I'm interested in, you know, getting into casting. And they did call me a couple times, but I wasn't available on the days that they called. So, but other than that, just like the wardrobe, I wish, I kind of wish I would have, I know I could have on that show gotten into wardrobe. There's a whole union thing, which you have to like get mm-hmm. in the union if you want to actually make a living doing it. It would have been nice to have figured that out while I was on the show. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yes. A few years later, I contacted one of our wardrobe people and he was like, yeah, you know, you got to go do this and you got to do this and you got to put in these hours and this. And it was kind of complicated. And then COVID happened. So uh, we all know that story, unfortunately. Well, Holly, are there any upcoming projects you can tell us about? Uh, right now, I don't have any upcoming projects in the film industry. I'm just working on my store. All right. Well, fantastic. I'm very happy that that's, that's turned from a side hustle or a side yeah. job into like, no, the job. It's just the yeah. job. So because that's yeah. that's awesome. Being able to do something. Absolutely. You know, work in something that you love is, a, I mean, that's the goal. So yeah. it's awesome. It's very fantastic. This year I've been, I've done a couple of weeks. Like I just did a, on a show, I just got off of the Santa Claus 
TV series. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So that was a couple of weeks ago and I did like four days on that. And then, um, the sympathizer that Robert Downey Jr. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I was with them like a week or so before they went to Thailand to film the rest. So I still, you know, work on set too. It's great to have both because Mm -hmm. I work from home and I'm by myself and it's like, okay, I'm in a cave and I'm editing photos, Mm -hmm. taking photos. And then I go to set and there's hundreds of people and I can be so, so it's a nice contrast. Well, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Definitely something I hope you are able to keep doing for a while. That's, that's totally wonderful being able to keep your foot in, in the door over there. So that's, that's awesome. Awesome. Well, Holly, thank you so much for talking to us today and, and, and strolling back down memory lane to Beacon Hills with us. We've had a great time doing the podcast and we're just reaching out to everyone. Cause we're like, everyone has something interesting to say about Teen Wolf, this thing that we love. And uh, it's been so much fun talking to you and to everyone else. And I'm yes. so, so happy we got to talk to you. Yes. Thank yes, you thank for you joining so us. Thanks thank for you. having me. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 3, Episode 23, Insatiable. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.